Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul. Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Um, well, I hope you guys had a happy Memorial Day. Um, I'm happy because I can just come out and say, I hope you had a happy Memorial Day, and there's no controversy or contention around the way that I said it. I feel like holidays are under attack. Um, you can't come out and say one thing and people just make assumptions. If I come out in January and I say, hope you had happy holidays, you're like, bro, did you just take Christ out of Christmas? And I'm like, I, I, sorry, it was just, it was, I was just asking if it was happy, okay? Happy Gilmore was a hero of mine. I just want the, the holidays to be happy. If I come out in the spring and say happy Easter, some of y'all are like, you talking rabbits and jelly beans or are you talking Jesus and Resurrection Sunday? I need to know what side of the fence you're on, okay? I'm like, just pump the brakes, man. Worst of all is trying to come out after Halloween and say, I hope you had a happy Halloween. You're like, whoa, Satan worshiper. <laughs> Easy there, buddy. What I'm really just saying is I like to steal my kids' candy. Um, and I have an inner theater geek who wants to dress up and play roles he'll never play in real life, okay? So what? Judge yourself. But luckily, we just had, hopefully, some of us a four-day weekend. You got to rest and relax and reflect and hopefully had a happy Memorial Day where we as Americans can agree we're very thankful for the sacrifices of brave men and women so that we can enjoy the freedom that we had. Or so I thought. Apparently, I'm not supposed to wish you happy Memorial Day either because now it's under attack. I read an article um, this weekend, and it's from Ryan O'Neill. He's one of the Navy SEALs who was responsible for killing Osama bin Laden. And he wrote very passionately, don't wish me happy Memorial Day. Wah, wah, wah. There's nothing happy about the loss of brave men and women of our armed forces who died in combat defending America. Memorial Day is not a celebration. Pretty strong words. Now, full disclosure, um, I, in my family, there's three generations of combat veterans. If you add my wife's family, it's four generations. And I have a great deal of respect and honor and admiration for the men and women who put their lives on the line so that I can cook hot dogs on Memorial Day and look at a flag and go, thank the Lord that I have freedom. But there's also an internal conflict within me that I hate the causes and effects of war. And I don't like people dying. Um, and I understand that's a cost that has to be paid sometimes, but I, I, I look forward to a day when God's peace reigns on earth as it does in heaven. And luckily, I think Ryan goes on to uh, explain some of his statements, and I think would get to a place where we all agree. He was, uh, had seen over 400 combat missions, and he said, war spreads faster than fire, and like fire, it leaves destruction in its wake. And I urge all Americans to join me in the hope and prayer that somehow, someday, people around the world will focus more on our similarities than our differences, and that we'll move closer to a time when war was just a memory, part of our past, but not our future. Why do I give you that commentary on our holiday? Uh, not because I have a particular political agenda, not because I want to convince you of some side of some argument, and not because I'm making the mistake of equating patriotism with Christianity. 
I simply tell you that because I think it brings up a helpful point. We're about to come to a happy memorial. We're coming to a table where celebration and lamentation are both appropriate expressions of respect and honor and dignity. That this is death and it is life. It is tragedy and it is triumph. It is fear and it is faith and it is all welcome at the table of Jesus Christ. And so we like to call it Eucharist. That's just a fancy word for Thanksgiving or grace. It's Lord's Supper. It's communion. And it's smack dab in the middle of a series we're doing called Fear Not. We did fear of being alone, fear of being postponed, and tonight is fear of the gravestone. We're going to talk about fear of death. Um, And I know for some of you, it it may be euphemistic to some extent. You're experiencing death of a dream or death of a relationship or death of who you thought you really were, and you're actually getting in touch with some sin and brokenness that you've been packing down for years, and all of a sudden it's coming up, and you have to die to who you thought you were, um, and someone else needs to be resurrected in their place. But with your permission, I'd like to talk about literal death. I'd like to talk about the fact that there are some of us who are petrified and feel a low-grade depression and anxiety when we think about our own mortality or those of our family and friends and loved ones. Um, And that's difficult. Like, for the majority of us, I think we would say, hey, I'm a Bible-believing, Christ-receiving, kingdom of God, achieving Christian, and I know that death doesn't have the final say. I know that Christ has defeated sin and hell and death on the cross and he's resurrected and to live is Christ and to die is gain. Absolutely, I believe that. But when I come face to face with it, for some reason, I can't control my thoughts, my anxieties, or my fear. And what's unfortunate is oftentimes we hide that or suppress that, which we feel guilty about feeling fear, which leads to shame and isolation, and we put ourselves in bondage to the very thing that Christ has freed us from. And uh, we had one prayer card two weeks ago, and I asked permission to share this. This is when it gets real. I just found out because of my family's genetics that I will likely die of cancer. And all of a sudden... You're thinking, okay, is what I believe about the Bible and God really true? And some of you have just found out that there's a bad prognosis for a friend or a family member. And how do you hold on to the hope of the resurrection in the midst of sadness, fear, of loss, and grief? I think the Bible has something that wants to speak directly to that tonight. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And our hope tonight is to be saturated in scripture and sacrament so that the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes more real to us than the chair you're sitting on. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll pray for us while you're turning there. There is no resurrection without death, Father. That we are afraid of the unknown and the things we can't control. And so now as we read your word, would you breathe life in us? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll start in verse 53. 
For the imperishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. I, I wonder if we can't do an alternative approach here. I, I know that there's fear surrounding death and death of loved ones sometimes. And instead of me just trying to put a seven-layer dip on top of those things, I just want to go straight after the bottom layer that's festering, okay? I want to go ahead and go, hey, let's acknowledge our fears and name those fears and bring them straight to the feet of Jesus. And let's get a, rid of some Christian guilt that goes along with feeling those fears, all right? As a Christian, in the face of suffering and death and dying for ourselves and for others, a Christian heart still bleeds and a Christian heart still struggles and breaks. So let's look at the first one. Okay, a Christian heart still breaks. We, we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain and that in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us we do not grieve as those without hope, but guess what? He does not say we don't grieve. We just have a fuller, more robust grief because we actually long and miss that person and hope that we'll see them again. But grief is good and you have to enter into it and you don't get a, a ticket that bypasses it. Yeah, you may see them one day again, but guess what? Right now, they're not here. And that calls for absence and loss and grief. So a Christian heart still breaks in the presence of death. A Christian heart still bleeds in the presence. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me give you a scripture verse I wanted to tell you. Here's Paul um, talking about his firsthand experience with that. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the hardships we encountered in the province of Asia. We were under a burden far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we felt like we were under a sentence of death. But watch this. In order that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. A Christian heart still bleeds. This is difficult, especially for those of us um, who have loved ones or family members or friends. We're not certain where they stood with Jesus. And I want to tell you that in their passing, the fact that your heart is bleeding is an appropriate gospel response. This is what Paul says. I have a deep sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, so much so that I wish I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel. The pain of eternal separation for his brothers was so much that he said, I wish I would be cut off so that they could be accepted. And I think that's an appropriate response in the face of uncertainty of the death and dying of a loved one. But that should fuel the fire of our commission to make disciples that make disciples not suppress it. And a Christian heart that still breaks and a Christian heart that still bleeds opens up the space for a Christian heart 
that still receives the gospel of Jesus Christ to become new and fresh every day. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in and is destroyed, we have a building from God not built by human hands, a heavenly home not built by human hands, but meanwhile, we still groan because we're longing to be clothed in that heavenly dwelling. That groaning and that expectation, that ability to receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit of things to come, to look with a robust resurrection eschatology. I don't even know what all that means. I just know that it needs to invade our hearts and our minds more and more every day. We do not have to grieve as those without hope, but we still have to grieve and we have to face those fears and we have to lean into them. And I would just simply submit to you guys as we come to the table to the memorial of the death of our fallen hero, Jesus Christ, who is risen and resurrected bodily and who will be returning again soon, that celebration and lamentation are not enemies. They're paradoxical partners in the Christian faith. That death and life are dance partners when the music and the melody and the lyrics of the gospel are sung and preached and prayed that we can come together tonight full of fear and full of faith and hope that the Holy Spirit will loosen the grip of the grave and strengthen the grip of his grace as we feast on the things of the Lord. Amen.